Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. All right, welcome everybody to um, our Bible study for tonight. Our Bible study tonight is on confession and repentance. Uh, we'll take them in the other order, repentance and confession. Uh, before we begin, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord God, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we may embrace Never hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right. So typically, repentance and confession get tossed together uh, when, when people talk about theology. And so uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, even though uh, it might make sense earlier on in our discussion when we were talking about the gospel and this kind of thing. But we're going to deal with it here. Um, so I'm going to read you a verse to start and, uh, it's a, it's a famous passage here. This is from Hebrews chapter six. Um, and it says this, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance, those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and they have fallen away since, and then have fallen away, since on their own accord, they are crucifying again the Son of God, and holding him open to contempt. Now, that is a very famous verse. How many of you have heard that, maybe you've heard that verse before? Um, some people in the early church took that to mean a certain thing. How, what do you think on a cursory reading of uh, hearing of that verse, those verses, what, what might somebody conclude those verses are saying? Uh, I'll read it again and, and think about that question. Um, what might somebody conclude? For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, since on their own accord they are crucifying again the Son of God and holding him to open contempt. So what might you conclude? Kind of sounds uh, like you're not forget forgiven if you know better. Right. When you yeah. Were um, and if they stumble, you're beat. You're stuck. That's that's what I'm looking for. There you go. You can see. Um, uh, some people took this as a you know once once condemned, always condemned. Right? You fall away once. That's it. You get one shot at this. If you mess up, you're done. You're toast. Right? That's a lot. A lot of people took this in the early church. And, and there was a big, big fight, a big controversy. Um, 
an early Christian work called the Shepherd of Hermas, uh, kind of taught the same thing. Uh, if if you if if you if you fall away after you became a Christian, that's it. Too bad. So sad. Now, that's not what that text says, but that's how. Can you see how somebody would hear it that way? It's impossible to repent if you have once enjoyed all these things and then fall away. It's right. Um, but uh, Susan was far more closer to what the text actually says. Um, it, it has to do with uh, not just falling away in general. It has to do with um, not repenting. The refusal to repent. Uh, uh, yeah. And um, the, uh, so that's where this kind of discussion begins. So after you're saved, after your baptism, if you fall away, can you be forgiven? That That's kind of where this begins. Most people, most Christian groups always say, yes, of course, for those people who are uh, not Christians yet, they have to repent and become Christians, uh, repent and believe and become Christians. But what about for those who... Um, who fall after being saved, can they be forgiven? Uh, and, and as Lutherans, the answer we say is absolutely yes, they can. Can you think of a couple biblical examples, famous ones of people who fell, but then were uh, re repented and, and, and were forgiven after? David. David, right. Peter's gonna say him. <laughs> yep. Parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, that's a good one. Um, real examples, though. Peter. Peter. That's number. That's number three. Yep. Peter. Twice. Twice. Now the, the first time is the famous one, and the second time, I'll give ten Bible points to the person who can say the second time. When did Peter fall a second time? So not the one that he was denied. Deny Jesus, not that nope. one. That was the first not one. That. that was the first one. That's okay. the famous one. Paul talks about it in the book of Galatians. I, I, I wouldn't expect. He talks about it briefly that um, Peter was going and he was uh, eating unkosher with the Gentiles when they were around. But when the Jews from Jerusalem came up and were hung around, he suddenly changed his tune and started keeping kosher and didn't didn't eat with the gentiles mm. anymore and paul in his in his in galatians calls him out on it and he says he did he says he stood condemned and i and i told him off to his face uh, <laughs> basically is what it says so he he rebuked him to his face and, and peter obviously repented um but um that's those are two examples uh, of uh, david and, and peter um there's another example of a king who was really wicked very wicked Oh, gee, which one would that be? So many. <laughs> the, the, this is the, David. no, this is even, he was the wickedest of them all. And he's the one that actually repented. Manasseh. Mm. Remember Manasseh? Manasseh would even offer his children up to the, he sacrificed his children to gods. And he was, uh, I believe he was taken captive and he repented. Um, uh, so yeah, Manasseh. Um, so those are three examples. Um, Ezekiel 33, 11 says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no 
pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn for away from their sins and live and turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Right? God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants uh, people to repent and to trust in him. Right? That's why Jesus says there is more joy in heaven over one wow. sinner who repents than over 99 people who have no need of repentance. Right? Um, righteous people who have no need of repentance. That's Luke 15, 7, if you're in score. Um, so that's um, that's a little intro here about what we're dealing with. We're dealing with repentance. Um, so this applies both before you're a Christian and, and after you're a Christian. Um, how would you go about defining the word repentance? What do you think it means? Being sorry. Being sorry. That, that's Changing a good, your ways. Changing your ways. Being after, sorry. After you're sorry. <laughs> after you're sorry. There, that's, that's a little bit more precise. I, I like that. Um, so, contrition. Oh, there's a, there's a $5 word. <laughs> Sincere regret. Sincere regret. I like that too. Absolutely. Um, who knows what the Greek word means? Have you heard that before? Met, metanoia. Metanoeo, as it's it, 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 you've not heard, you've never heard this before. So the Greek word um, uh, means to change the mind. That's what it literally means, mm -hmm. to change your mind. Um, and you can, uh, and, and I got some great definitions out of you guys. You guys nailed some of these um, uh, key ideas that we're going to cover. So that's great. Um, so, um, um, now, who knows the medieval Roman Catholic word for repentance? Two different things, medieval and slash Roman Catholic. Penance. 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 They, are, they will more likely talk about penance than they will about repentance. Um, penance has to do with punishment. And, and we won't talk too much about that, but um uh when our books when our books don't use penance in a derogatory way when we're not fighting roman catholics we just mean it as a synonym for um repentance the first of the 95 theses says when our lord and master jesus christ said do penance he meant that the entire christian life would be one of repentance And that's those with those words, the Reformation began. Um, so repentance goes right to the heart of the Reformation. Okay. Uh, uh, other synonyms for the word repentance, um, conversion. Conversion. Um, uh, and and um, what does conversion mean? A change. Change, change. course. To change course, exactly. Yeah, we understand that. It's a U-turn, right? You went one, you were going one way, and you turned away from that direction, and you started going another direction, right? Uh, uh, and um, that that's an important uh, uh, thing to note. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, okay, so conversion um, refers to, it has two moves. Uh, repentance and conversion, they have two moves. And, and, it, and it can be divided into two parts. But when we divide this into two parts, that we're really talking about two parts of the same turning, right? So think of a U-turn. There's two parts to turning. You have to turn away from the direction you were going and you have to turn, uh, you, you have to turn away and then turn towards. Um, and so um, we have two parts. We have turning away from sin, which is what we call contrition, um, which is the word Rob used. We'll get to what that means. Also, sometimes this is just called repentance <laughs> to make it confusing um sometimes the bible uses repentance the bible uses repentance in two different ways sometimes it uses it to refer to contrition which sometimes it uses it to refer to the whole kit and caboodle both right so you just have to keep in mind that and and kind of look at the context and kind of make make a choice so you turn away from sin right and then you turn to christ so turning away from sin is called contrition. Turning to Christ is called faith. Make sense? Um, we can, if you want to talk about a third thing, Philip says, <clears throat> that's okay. You can talk about the third thing. It's not really part of repentance, but it's like connected. Uh, what would that third thing be? Any ideas? So we've talked about turning away from sin, which is contrition, and then turning to Christ in faith. What else would there be? Staying there. Staying there. That's you're close. Absolutely. Um, the good works, you could call it the Christian life, the fruit of repentance, right? Uh, um, Philip says, if you want to include good works, the Christian life, the fruit of repentance, I'm not going to stop you. Though it's not really your part of repentance, it's the, uh, it's the result of repentance. Um, okay. Um, so it's important to see that repentance is both contrition and faith. Um, it's, and we're, we're going to see um, why that is in a second. Um, contrition. Now, Rob, I'm going to put you on the spot. You use that fancy $5 word. What does it mean? To be contrite, which we use in the service all the time. So to be we do. sorry right. and humble. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that, that's right. And along with that, when we sit, talk about contrition, we're talking about uh, genuine, earnest terror. <laughs> terror of what terror of god's wrath against our sin uh you can call it anguish or pain uh, uh because we have sinned against god uh and and angered him um other ways you can call it um the scripture uses the term brokenness sometimes to talk about it a broken and contrite heart oh lord you will not despise so we talk about broken heart um you're, you're aware, it's an awareness of your radical moral poverty. 
uh, in God's eyes. Um, or you could say it's an intense awareness that your uh, that your own life is imprisoned in sin. Um, and so in this, we you have to be able, uh, not you in general, but like a person who is contrite, who has contrition, has to be able to recognize the magnitude, the power, the destructiveness of sin inside themselves. Um, it's almost like you have to be able to feel the bruises that sin has left on you, not just ignore them all the time. Uh, sin has left bruises on you, uh, and, and you, you have to be able to feel that and see that, recognize it for what it is. Um, you have to, and then you, it also is a, a sincere sorrow or being sorry that we have offended God by those kinds of sins. You know, so a lot you see a lot of people that you know um, become so contrite in that that they've given up complete and total hope that they have a lot of difficulty coming back to the faith because they don't believe that you know whatever bad stuff they've done or what are cumulative or an event or something that there's no way God could ever forgive them right I, 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 go ahead. No, that's, you, you're right. Let's hold on to that for just a second. Because uh, we're going to come back to that with biblical examples of that. And we're going to ask, what's the difference? Uh, but we'll do that in a little bit. We're going to uh, continue to talk about contrition itself. Uh, we, we've defined it. And you guys, you guys nailed it. It's this being sorry for sin. It's a sorrow over sin. I heard that. Um, but we need to, it's, it's, it's that awareness, that recognition and awareness that you have sinned against God, right? Personally. And it's a bit of, it's a, it's a terror. It's, it's, you, you know, it's not just, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I sinned. It's, it's a, it, it's a, a terror of God's wrath is his desire to punish. So we should, we should fear God's wrath. Um, God's wrath is his desire is uh, out of his holy justice to punish. Uh, so God is fearfully angry with our sins and he will um, bring uh, temporal and eternal punishments upon us unless we're reconciled to him. Um, so that fear of God's wrath, that comes about, we experience that when the word of God uh, exposes and denounces and, and calls sin for what it is. Uh, um, the point of the gospel is to condemn sins and then offer forgiveness for them, right? Um, yeah. Um, to see this, um, no, I'm going to hold on to that verse for later. Okay. Um, so in order for this to happen, how... Um, how does somebody become aware of their sin? What mechanism has God? Uh, your conscience. Your conscience. The law. The law. The, the law. They, those are the two big words you want. Your conscience and the law. That's right. So God has instituted uh, the office of preaching in order to proclaim and rebuke sins to point point them out and say god doesn't like that and, and god's angry with that uh that kind of thing and so through the preaching of the law god 
declares that he that, that he punishes sins, he condemns sin and disobedience, um, all that stuff. Uh, and he also, um, yeah, so the law teaches us to recognize our sin. The law shows us our sin, as we say, and it shows us our need for God's mercy. Um, and the gospel shows us um, how God has come to give us that mercy. Right. So you see the distinction between the law and the gospel. The law shows you what you're supposed to do, how you haven't done it, and then tells you uh, what the consequences are for not having done what God wanted. And the gospel comes and tells you what God has done to reconcile you to himself. Um, and um, the spirit, the Holy Spirit uses the preaching of the law to bring to give people that recognition we call that sometimes um uh conviction right have you ever heard that used um uh, um uh they somebody's felt convicted by that sermon um lutherans don't use that but that's that's popular language out in the evangelical world um that oh, oh that, that sermon was very convicting um uh or if you've heard a sermon preached and you feel guilty afterwards. You feel like the pastor's pointing at you. <laughs> um, that's the, it's not the pastor. The pastor probably doesn't have you in mind. The Holy Spirit has used the procl that proclamation to point something out in your life that he wants you to deal with. Um, so, um, yeah, okay. Um, do you think we need to look up verses that say that? Or do you guys, are you guys sufficiently, have we covered this enough? enough? Um, um, how about we look up one? Can somebody look up Romans 3, verse 20? Romans chapter 3, verse 20. I've got it. Okay. Therefore... My eyes aren't working. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Right. Good. Through the law, we become conscious of, conscious of sin. Other translations say through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Right. Uh, same idea. The law makes you aware, conscious. It shows you what sin is. Okay. Um, all right, so, so that there's, there's that, um, yeah, uh, another passage, uh, that we should look at is John 16. Now this is going back to the idea of, uh, confession, uh, uh contrition, I should say. Let's look at John 16 verses seven through 11 somebody have that john 16 through 7 and 11 and what other verses do we have to look at here uh, i've got uh john 16 great someone else can look at um second second corinthians 7 verse 9 second corinthians 7 verse 9 i've got that one great and um isaiah 66 verse 2 Isaiah 66, verse 2. 
All right, somebody, somebody read that when we get there. I'll trust somebody to do it. All right, great. So uh, John 16, seven through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. Great. Um, so you see there, the, Jesus is saying that he needs to go away so that the Holy Spirit comes. And what is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, judgment, right? Um, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. So through the, um, we know sin through the law. The Holy Spirit uses the law to convict us of sin, right? Okay. Second Corinthians 7, verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, where you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Right. Um, so there, there's a, um, so here in this, in this repentance is used in the broad sense. And it, there's a grief, a godly grief that leads to repentance. Um, uh, so that, that's, that's important to see. Um, Isaiah 66, verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Yeah, trembles at his word, right? Um, so do you see this, I, this, um, this theme of contrition? Um, we could also read the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee if we wanted to, right? The tax collector uh, does what? He doesn't even look up to heaven. He puts his head down, strikes his chest and says, God have mercy on me. Mercy. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that's, that's, um, so, so that's a few verses. There are so many more that talk about this and there's examples and everything. Right. Um, so it's this fear of God's wrath, this sorrow over sin, um, this kind of thing. Um, any questions about contrition? Okay. I'm going to look at just a little briefly before we move on to faith. Um, there are some false views of repentance we need to um, scoot out of the way. Uh, contrition and repentance, that's not something you do to make yourself worthy of God's grace. Right? Um, we shouldn't think that, well, if I'm, if I'm sorry enough, then I'll earn God's favor, right? You don't earn God's mercy and favor and forgiveness because you're super sorry, right? Isn't that what Martin Luther went through? Didn't Martin Luther yeah. go through that? He was uh, so sorry and he would, you know, flagellate himself and uh, beat himself <laughs> right. up and, and he just couldn't feel better till he discovered grace. Right. Exactly. Um, so, so, it, um, so it's not something you do to make yourself worthy of grace. Second, it's, it's not just an intellectual recognition 
oh yeah of sin in general oh yeah 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 we're all sinners we're all imperfect yeah absolutely no no it's more than that it's recognizing that i'm a sinner me because right uh and it's not and it's more than just an intellectual thing it, it, it affects your will and your heart it, it's a you know you yeah so it's not just an intellectual thing it's um sometimes there can be wrenching emotional experiences involving grief over sin uh yet if it's without faith um it, 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 it's just an emotional it's just it, it's it, without faith it, it's not enough so it's not just an emotional thing um it, it's not about emotions um you could also say that um um in lutheranism we're we're, we're tempted for this next one where that we're so passive in repentance that we actually don't change uh you'll hear this from lutheran pastors will say that you are repented <laughs> no 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 it yes god grants repentance through the preaching of his law but you have to repent that's not something god does for you that's something you do absolutely uh, right it's not god you're not just this lump on the bump on the log and god repents you um that there are lutheran pastors we are in fellowship with who teach that way and, and they're wrong <laughs> um uh and then um that repentance and also those same lutheran pastors are probably guilty of this next one that repentance does not lead to a change of life um god doesn't save you in your sins he saves you from your sins <laughs> right um uh when um paul says uh put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires romans uh 13 um so that there will be, there is a change and we'll, we'll see that later you uh, so somebody who thinks that repentance is not a change of life is is wrong um that's what we call cheap grace i think uh i could be wrong uh bonhoeffer has a famous book uh, cost of discipleship uh, very famous book uh, about that i haven't read it i should read it probably anyway uh, and that repentance is not is not is only something you do once oh yeah i repented i did that once no no, no. Uh, uh, luther says it in the small catechism by daily contrition and repentance right and he tells you what it means um, put to death the old Adam in us with all sins and evil desires, right? Daily. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be a fun experience. That's why the famous quote from Bonhoeffer, you guys all know who Bonhoeffer is, right? He was the, the quasi-Lutheran pastor who uh, tried to kill Hitler and was sent to a concentration camp and was killed like a week or something before the war ended. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, he has that famous line from the cost of discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Um, yeah, that's that, the same thing in Luther, you know, daily contrition and repentance. Okay. Those are some false views. Um, so we talked about this, this sorrow you have for sin, this, uh, you're, you feel sorry for, for your, your sin. You, you have fear 
uh, of God's wrath and his anger, his punishment. You realize that uh, you deserve his temporal and eternal punishment, right? And, and you, you recognize that. Um, and, but that's, um, to that, we have to add something. Um, we have to add what it says in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 47. I'll read this. Uh, Thus it is written that the Messiah is, is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name. So what does the church teach? We teach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So that means faith. Uh, the forgiveness of sins, of course, has been won for us because Jesus Christ has merited obtained he uh, he has and he gives he offers to you forgiveness of sins and, and faith is trust in that promise uh that comes through the voice of the gospel when it's preached uh which is um your sins are forgiven for jesus sake uh that's a promise uh, and faith, faith is faith is trusting that when God promises you that your sins are forgiven, that He's telling the truth. Uh, and the Holy Spirit uses the gospel, the proclamation of that promise, to give you faith. Um, it's not just knowledge; it's a true confidence and trust that our sins are forgiven without any merit or on our part, completely out of grace because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Um, now we can come back to Wendy's question. Now, what's the difference then between the repentance of Peter and Judas or David and Saul? Those are the two, those are the two good biblical examples, Peter and Judas. What's the difference? Judas didn't have faith that Christ would forgive him for what he had done. That's right. It's faith. Sorrow over sin doesn't help you if you don't have trust that God has forgiven you. God is not out to make you feel miserable <laughs> just for the sake of making you feel miserable. Um, he's out to show you just how terrible you really are so that you can feel sorry about it. Uh, trust his promise of forgiveness and start to live a better life. And the, right? That's what's going on. And so, so somebody who's so contrite that, and they have so much sorrow over sin, they can't think that God forgives them. Um, to those, you need to proclaim the message of the forgiveness of Jesus. And that no, all sins... Um, um, he has borne for us, um, um, else had despair reigned o'er us. I think that's a hymn. Um, <laughs> um, have mercy um, on us. Yeah. yeah, have mercy on us. See, it, it, it must be Luther hymn. I think it's a Luther hymn. I think it's, um, uh, maybe so we'll sing Judas it. didn't think that he was worthy, something to be like forgiven. that. He, Judas, yeah, we, we yeah. say that the reason why Judas did not, the difference between Judas and David, or D Judas and Peter, is uh, 
Judas despaired and killed himself because he thought, whoa, was me, I'm done. Uh, Peter, he was, he, 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 he repented. Uh, so he it, didn't it, also trust in what Jesus said was what he was going to do. Yeah, that's right. To be, to forgive his sins, any sin. Right. No wonder yeah. he felt such despair. And, 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 and Jesus even says to, says to Peter, when you are converted, that's the, what the word is. When you, when you are converted, when you repent, when you, uh, um, when you, you're converted, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so that's the difference. We also make, when we talk about fear of God, this is an important point to make. We make a distinction between childlike fear and slave-like fear. What would be the difference between those two? Mark looks like he's going to fall asleep. Mark feels like he's going to fall asleep. <laughs> I'm going to try and stick with you. All right. What's the difference between childlike fear and slave-like fear? How does a start with the latter? How does a slave fear its master? What kind of fear is that? Punishment. Bingo. A fear of punishment. But a child, how does a child fear their father? Love and obedience. Respectfully love and obedience. It's not so much a fear of punishment, though that can be there, right? But um, a lot of times the childlike fear is a fear of um, um, fear of disappointment. Um, maybe an even better example is um, um, a spouse. So you, you fear your spouse. Um, and that is why uh, you don't do things that displease them, right? Not that you're afraid of punishment, but you value that relationship that you have with them. And you are afraid to do anything that would harm or, or break that relationship, right? It's that kind of fear that we say, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. It's not just uh, fear of punishment. So, and in Christians, you can see that we have, we always, don't we always have a little bit of both of those? <laughs> we're, 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 we, we have a little bit of, I don't, want, I don't want to break this relationship I have with God. And at the same time, you also want to say, yeah, I am kind of afraid, to, afraid of him. He, he's kind of big and scary and he can send me to hell and I don't want that because <laughs> that'd be very mean, bad and I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? That's, we have a little bit of both and that's, uh, we, we try to have more of the I don't want to hurt that relationship I have with God thing more than the other. But anyway, that's just a point to talk about that. Um, so we've said that our, yep, uh, we don't receive, yeah, we kind of said that we don't receive the forgiveness of sins because your, your repentance was, was just so heartfelt and so gushy with tears that God gives it to you. We, um, our repentance is quite never quite enough because we still always have sins we need to repent of, but um, it's through faith. It's through the promise uh, uh, given to us gratis, free. Um, and I don't think we need verses about faith. Uh, John 3.16, Ephesians, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him um, that's um, 
and a, a verse that's even more clear, Acts 10, 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Right? Okay. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Oh, fruit. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Briefly, we're going to talk about then this third thing. So um, if you... Um, If you've been reconciled to God, if you've been forgiven your sins because you've repented and trust in the promise of forgiveness, um, then the Christian life should follow, right? Um, there can't be any true conversion or contrition or repentance with where uh, putting to death this, um, this, the sin that you have left and, and, and living a new Christian life doesn't take place. Um, that looks different in all of us, right? We're not talking about a standardized thing here that, or even something that's even measurable, it, but it has to be taking place um, because um, um, we ought to be producing fruit. Jesus talks about this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, and, um, and what that fruit is, we learn from the 10 commandments. Um, and this makes sense, right? If, um, if we are truly, God has shown you your sin through the preaching of the law, right? <laughs> he's shown you just how, um, he's shown you just how angry he is with sin. And, you know, to different degrees, our hearts are contrite. We are sh uh, broken, crushed, that kind of thing. Um, and so if we acknowledge that God's wrath is on us, it, because of our sin uh then uh we wouldn't take pleasure in the sin that brought god's wrath on us would we <laughs> um nor would we have any intention to keep in it um uh we would turn from it uh that makes sense if you say you trust um if you trust if if, if i have a put a pull out a chair for you to sit in and I say, do you trust me? And you say, yeah, I trust you. And then you refuse to sit in the chair because you're suspicious that I've given you a whoopee cushion or something. Um, <laughs> um, right, do you actually trust me? No, if you don't sit in the chair when I offer it to you, you, know, I, I, you don't actually trust me, even if you say you do. Uh, very crude example, but um, yeah. Um, verses along with this, um, Luke 3, verse 8 is the famous one. John the Baptist, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Um, and there's other verses. You think of the verses. Another good one is Galatians chapter 5, where Paul lists in verses 16 to 21, the works of the flesh and then he says in verses 24 and 25 those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also be guided by the spirit um okay 15 minutes um let's talk about confession any questions on repentance No? Okay. 
Good. I expect to see you all repenting tomorrow. <laughs> I'm, I'm repenting. Start now. already. I'm repenting. Yes. Good. <laughs> when, when we, Pastor, yes. when we talk about repenting, though, um, and being sorry and contrite and all that, turning away from the sins, we clearly need the Holy Spirit to help us in that, though. Absolutely. Right? You're absolutely right. Yeah, it, it's... Um, it, it, there's a bit of a cooperation there, isn't there? Um, the Holy Spirit uses the proclamation of the law um, to show you your sin, um, to help you, um, um, to give you the new desires that want to do what God wants and, and, and wants to avoid the things that God doesn't want, right? That, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Um, and it's also the Holy Spirit who turns the promise of forgiveness that you see in the gospel into faith, which trusts that promise. Um, and those things work together um, to, but you're right. It, it, it's, it's not, well, either the Holy spirit does it or I do it. Well, no, there's a little bit of cooperation going on here um, though. Um, um, I might have to clarify that if somebody thinks I'm a heretic because I say there's cooperation. Uh, um, <clears throat> okay confession so let's in general confession of sin is, is is an essential part of spiritual life health uh in scripture um in scriptures unconfessed sins sins that you don't confess they uh they leads to uh distress discomfort disease sufferings of various sorts and confession of sin is a crucial part of uh for receiving forgiveness healing restoration those kinds of things um somebody have psalm 32 verses 4 and 5 for me psalm 32 verses 4 and 5 um while you're looking up that i'll read proverbs 30 so proverbs says no one proverbs 28 13 no one who conceals transgressions will prosper but the one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy right uh but uh psalm 32 verses four and five someone for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer then i acknowledged my sin to you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Right, we say that in setting three, don't we? Uh, when we do the old TLH service. Uh, but notice that first part, your hand was heavy on me and I was, right, and my strength was dried up, right? Um, there's other verses, there's lots of verses that talk about this, but if, if you bottle up sin and you don't confess it and you refuse to acknowledge it, um, uh, it doesn't go well. Um, it can, the power of sin continues to grow. Um, I, I actually like verse three and four. It talks about that. When I keep silent, my bones grew old. When I kept silent yeah. all the day long. Yeah. 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 So there, it actually links it to vocalizing it. Um, what do they say? in AA admitting is is like half, is the you know the first step is admitting that you have a problem right S similar isn't it 
um, um, and so we're going to look at um, <coughs> briefly uh, three types of confession. There's three types of confession. In all three types, you confess your sins to God. Right? God is the one. Uh, even when you do, um, there someone else is involved. You're still confessing your sins to God. That's that's a key point. So the first type of confession is when you confess to God directly. Um, uh, when we confess our sins individually to him, when we get together as a church and confess our sins to him, right? But, um, and, and when we ask him for forgiveness, this is, you know, in the Lord's prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? This is the, you can go directly to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness, right? No problem with that one. The second one has to do with when you, um, when you have hurt someone else, and you go to them and ask for their forgiveness, right? Uh, I've done this bad thing for you and I repent. I, would you please forgive me? Never say you're sorry. It's much better and more Christian to say, I was wrong, please forgive me, I, right? You don't just want them to accept your apology. We, you want them to grant you forgiveness. Uh, I, not, not that saying sorry is wrong, but you get what I'm trying to say. Uh, you, it's much more Christian to say, I forgive you. And uh, then it is to say, yeah, don't worry, no problems. <laughs> um, but that's what you're doing. Um, Can somebody who isn't Christian forgive you? Well, I mean, it, they can forgive you of the, the damage that you've done to them directly, right? Uh, but they can't uh, forgive you in, in behalf, right? Yeah, they don't they don't have permission to do in the stead by the command of their Lord Jesus Christ, right? Uh, <laughs> but they can forgive you of the sins that you've committed against them personally, and and um, yeah, and then the the final confession of sin, it has two parts. First. It's, it's a personal acknowledgement of your own violations of God's law. And second, that you receive absolution, which is forgiveness from the minister who's authorized to proclaim God's forgiveness in the stead of Christ. Uh, kind of like the Old Testament sacrifice. That, that's what's going on there, by the way. They're bringing the animal. They're saying, I've sinned. And uh, they then receive the forgiveness from the priest. Okay, private confession. Where'd that come from? Very briefly, private confession starts, uh, my information on this comes from the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church. Um, so it starts when, after baptism in the early church, if you committed murder or adultery or some sort of really crazy sin, um, you'd be either voluntarily or because of you were threatened with excommunication, um, uh, um, you would be enrolled in a special register, a list of people called the penitents. Um, you'd be excluded from commercial, uh, communion and you'd have this severe course of fasting and prayer and almsgiving. And, and um, the, the period of time you had to do this was determined by how bad your sin was. And then at the end of that time, uh, uh, you would be reconciled, you'd confess your sin in the presence of the pastor and the congregation and be rejoined. Uh, but then 
uh, you weren't allowed to marry, um, and um, uh, there were some other prohibitions on your life. Um, it could only be done once in a lifetime. Um, yeah, so that, that was the early church, um, in the early uh, European church. The Celtic church, Celtic, where's, we talk about Celtic things, or Anglo-Saxon, uh, where are we, what part of the world are we referring to? Wales. Wales, Wales, Ireland, Ireland. Scotland. Scotland, the British Isles. They didn't come under the, the authority of the Pope until later, until almost the Middle Ages. So they were an independent form of Christianity for a long, very long time, and which had their own unique traditions. The, the, they had um, the private confession much more similar to what we know. Um, there's big differences. We don't have time to get into that. But that system from the Celtic church comes over into Europe, the continent. And by the, 12, 15, the fourth Lateran Council in 1215, it's required, every Christian becomes required to confess their sins to a priest once a year. Um, the difference is they have, they had what's called a satisfaction where you have to do something to make up for your sin. Um, and we won't get into that, but that's where very briefly and broadly um, private confession comes from. Um, um, now I have to find my place in my notes. <laughs> there we are. Um, so as Lutherans, we retain private confession. We keep it. We keep it because of the absolution, the declaration of forgiveness. Um, our, the way we do confession is different from Rome. Uh, we don't have time here to do comparative religion, but it, it's slightly different from Rome. For example, we don't command you to do 10 Hail Marys in order to earn the forgiveness. Uh, we just forgive you. Um, um, so uh, the absolution, the declaration, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the word of God. We call that the power of the keys. We'll read that verse in a bit. Um, and it and it's um, um, the, the book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions state that it is wicked to remove private confession from the church. Um, uh, we can have a discussion about why we don't do it. Um, and uh, that would take us uh, too far afield. Um, it's a good practice uh, and it's recommended in the Lutheran confessions to go to private confession before you go to the Lord's Supper. Lots of reasons involved with that. Time's escaping us, we won't deal with that. Um, um, but it's a, it's a good pious practice to do that. And th there are some good reasons to, do, to, to try that. Back in the day, it used to be that way. You used to register, just like we're registering now to go to services. Well, back in the day, you'd register to receive communion. And, and you'd go to the church, you'd register to, to receive communion. You'd say, pastor, I wanna receive communion. You'd confess your sins. Uh, very similar to what we do, uh, a general confession. If something was bogging you, you would say something. The pastor might ask you a few questions, absolve you, and you'd be registered for communion that Sunday. That was the practice until, I don't know how long ago, recent, fairly recently, 
100 years, 200 years, maybe? Uh, uh, Actually, way less than that, because my dad grew up doing that. Yeah, so did my mom. Yeah, so did my dad. My dad used to register for the whole family, though, so that doesn't really, (laughs) I mean, yes. Yeah, so it, it used to be that you would register and you'd go, and the pastor would take time to talk to you and counsel you, and that would be your main connection with, like, your personal counseling with the pastor. He'd make sure that you're going for the right reasons and that you're examining yourself and all that stuff. Um, that used to be the practice. It's not the practice anymore. Um, in 1941, we added in uh, a general absolution in the service uh, where I say to everybody in the divine service in church, I forgive you all your sins. Nobody has had done that before 1941. It's a, it's a novelty as far as I know. Um, um, and um, I've gone back to the declaration of grace where I just proclaim, you know, God's forgiven you, the other column. Because I, I can't know the people in internet land, whether or not they're forgiven, who they are. I have, no, I have no idea. I have no connection with them. So I don't feel comfortable just forgiving the sins of people I have no, no connection with. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, the diff- another big difference in private confession with Lutherans is we are not required to list off all your sins that you can remember. Uh, it's not even possible. Uh, Psalm 1912, who can detect his errors? Lord, keep me from hidden faults. And then Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is devious above all else and it's perverse. Who can know it? Um, uh, so um, we, we are only required to confess your sins in general or, or something that's specifically bothering you. Something that, that you need to hear a direct word of counsel and forgiveness on. And that can be really helpful for somebody who's trapped in a sin and they just don't know where else to turn. Um, something that's really bugging their conscience and they feel really bad about to hear a word. No, no, even that sin, that one right there, that one's forgiven too. Uh, to, to, there's, there's, uh, so that when you come up with that sin again or that temptation comes before you, you can remind, no, no, I won't do that. God forgave me that, of that one right there. Or, or if it's bugging your conscience, I don't know if God loves me because I keep doing X, Y, and Z. Well, no, God forgives you, uh, that kind of thing. Um, the absolution is God's voice. It's, uh, his, it's not, um, it is not me or the church doing the forgiving. Um, it, it, um, but we are doing it as God's spokesman because he's commanded us to do it. Um, um, uh, only God can do the forgiving and the minister, I'm only the, the, the means of transmission, uh, the instrument uh, to declare that forgiveness to the people. Um, um, God doesn't forgive sins without means, and he uses the, 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 the ministry of the church to do that. Um, here's something you might not know. Any Christian, in the case of an emergency, can forgive sins. The pastor does it regularly, but any Christian can uh, uh, in, a, in a matter of a life or death emergency. Um, that's been uh, the position of the church uh, since Augustine. During the Black Death, 
uh, in the Middle Ages, um, priests were dying. So the, uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church uh, said that any, but any Christian can, can receive, uh, can, can impart absolution to a dying person um, because there wasn't enough priests. And if the person recovered, then they, it was their job to go find a priest and confess it again. That's silly, but, you know, it was the Middle Ages. <laughs> um, um, all right, a couple verses. And then we'll close the study up. Um, maybe just a, a, so let me clarify this. Um, the, the power to forgive sins. Um, let's just read the verses and I can explain it as we go. Sorry, second guessing my thoughts here. Um, we need Matthew 16, 19. Somebody from Matthew 16, 19. We need John chapter 20, verses 22 to 23. Do I have someone from Matthew 16, 19? I've got John 20. John 20. Okay, we got John 20. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 19. Great. Uh, I need Luke 10, 16. Luke 10, 16. Luke 10, 16. Okay, I have that one. All right. I need um, Matthew 18. We have three verses in Matthew 18. 17, and then 20 and 21. Matthew 18, 17, 20, and 21. I got that. All right. And I'll do a couple of the other ones. All right. So first... Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay. Uh, so that in context of specific, uh, uh, referring specifically to Peter, uh, but the same language is used in John 20 and helps explain it. So John 20. And what verses was that again, Pastor? <clears throat> 22 and 23. Okay. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Okay. This is what we call the office of the keys. It's given to uh, Peter, then to the apostles. Uh, and um, in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So it goes from uh, <clears throat> Peter, and then you can see expands to the apostles, and then it goes to pastors. Um, the, um, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, um, whatever you uh, forgive, is forgiven. Whatever you do not forgive is not forgiven. There's two keys. Remember that. I can forgive people or I cannot forgive people, right? You can uh, admit, uh, and, and so that's, that's what's going on there. Um, who has that authority to do that? Who are these keys given to in general? In fact, um, Matt, uh, oh, and let's do this again. Luke 10, 16 also says something similar. Luke 10, 16, 
the one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me right all right so that gives you that principle the 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 people whom christ sends if you reject them in the in in the line of their duty uh right you're rejecting jesus and if you listen to them while they're doing their duty uh then you're listening to jesus um now um matthew 18 what's uh, the verses again 17 and then 20 and 21 okay 17 Mm -hmm. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Okay, so then 20. Yep. For even though it's said there on 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. There you go. But anyway, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. And so 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as 70 times. And then the next verse, and Jesus, just Jesus, Jesus said responds. to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Great. Okay. So here you see, uh, we've come full circle. So here, this is dealing with, problems in the church and in matthew 18 and if you want you can read the whole chapter if your brother sins against you go lay your fault with him if he does if he doesn't listen you take two more and if he doesn't listen then then you tell it to whom to the church now the church here does not just refer to pastors it refers to all of us the church the people aren't just the church and the pastor is not just the church all of us together are the church a church is shepherd with the flock, right? That kind of thing. Um, and so um, the church, the congregation, the people have the authority here to bind and loose, to forgive. That authority they have is delegated to, some, to, the, to the person in office. That's why I have documents that say that you called me to be your pastor, right? That, that's right. I'm serving... Uh, um, so um, that's how that works. God has given the, the authority of those keys to forgive and sins to the church as, as a whole. And the church exercises them. They use those keys through pastors. But because those keys are given to the church as a whole, in the case of an emergency, any Christian can forgive sins. You, you're tracking with me there? Uh, uh, in an emergency, you can. You, uh, outside of an emergency, uh, it falls to the person who's been called and authorized through the church to do that. Okay. Um, other couple verses that kind of talk about this kind of thing. James 5, 13 through 15. Are any of you suffering? Uh, they should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs and songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call the elders of the church. Elders does not mean what we call elders. Uh, our elders are more like deacons. Elders in the Bible refers to pastors. Uh, they should call the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if anyone has committed sins, they will be forgiven. 
uh, of course, famous one, First John 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, there's another verse somewhere. It says, uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, and then, um, oh, yes. Uh, the best, one of the best examples of this is Second Samuel twelve. Remember this, David. What is what has David done? David has committed sin. He's uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, um, and then he's committed murder, uh, a conspiracy to commit murder and murder <laughs> um, by killing her her husband Uriah the the Hittite. Nathan comes and tells him a story, and he says, "You are the man, right?" And then in 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. See, it? confession, absolution. He's confessed that what he did was wrong. He sinned against the Lord. And the, the Lord, uh, or, or God, God, through his prophet, forgave him. You will not die. Your sins are forgiven um similar jesus does this all the time just look for through the bible when he talks about your sins are forgiven depart in peace right jesus does this kind of thing all the time um okay that brings us to the end of that lesson um any questions about repentance confession anything like that guess not okay hopefully that was an interesting subject there was a lot of material i tried to get through there um hopefully it wasn't too too difficult um i, I it, it's kind of good to, to go through these things um it, this, this kind of material shows you um why we go to church right we go to church uh because that's where god's law is preached to show us our sins so that we may repent uh bear good fruit uh that's why we have um pastors both you have me and i have pastors whom we can go to and confess our sins and receive absolution and forgiveness when our consciences are troubling us so it it, it this is this is good stuff and and um it's um important for our, our daily christian life okay well let's uh close with a word of prayer and there's any more discussion we can do it off the record lord god heavenly father we thank you that because of uh, the preaching of your word we have both been shown the, the depth of our wretchedness but also uh, the depth of your mercy and love toward us in your son jesus christ who died upon the cross offered us and now through uh, the proclamation of your gospel and through the ministry of your church uh, uh, have offered us forgiveness. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would use this to work in us uh, uh, repentance, uh, contrition, sorrow for sin. Uh, help us to be truly sorry for what we've done, to turn to you in faith, uh, and to turn away from sin, and to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Well, we ask you to do this for us uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.
Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at icloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.